to another edition of the Student Fire Podcast, live from the Speak Fire Studio. My name is Bobby Berg. I'm a motivational speaker for schools, and I'm here to help you live your best life today. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Student Fire Podcast, powered by Speak Fire. I'm your host, Bobby Berg, and y'all, this week, I hope y'all have had an incredible weekend. I hope you got time to rest. I hope you got time to reset, and I hope you got time to really be with yourself for a minute. This week for me has been nothing short of amazing, and this upcoming week is going to be even better. Recently, I was asked to be a guest on a podcast with a complete stranger. You know that time where your parents tell you, hey, don't talk to random strangers on the internet? Well, I clearly didn't listen here, but don't miss the next two episodes of the podcast. I promise you, you don't want to miss this. Um, I was interviewed by a man named Daniel Bruce Levin. He wrote a book called The Mosaic. And I'm not even going to spoil any of it because saying even a little bit ruins it. Check this. This is a two. This is part one of two of this interview that I had with him. It's about an hour long in total. So I'm going to do half hour this week, half hour next week. And I'm telling you, you need to check this out because everything that I talk about, everything that is speak fire, everything that is making your life incredible is covered in this. Take a half hour turn this on, go about your day, and please hop in the reviews, hop in my DMs on Instagram, and tell me what you thought about this, because my thought process has not been the same since this happened. So here's the interview. Check it out. I hope you enjoy it. I love you very much, and I'll catch you all in the next week. Roll it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the room where 50 people have walked into to have 50 conversations with strangers, with a stranger like myself. I have no idea who they are. I don't even know if they're going to show up. I was supposed to have a conversation earlier before before this conversation with Bobby Berg uh, this morning. And it was with somebody from the far, far east. And I don't know if we messed up the time zones. I don't know what happened. But I, I was, got up, I was waiting here, and nobody showed up in the room. It was okay. It gave me a little time to just sit with myself and, and take some time to be with myself, which was very beautiful. But I always love when I show up here and somebody is actually here because I have no idea if they're going to be here, who they are, what they're going to say, what their stories are. Um, but rather than get too caught up in, the, in this whole thing, let me just share with you. This is The concept is Two people walk into a room who have never had a conversation, who know nothing about each other, and sit down and see what happens. So with that, I can't introduce this person to you because I don't have any idea who he is. I can tell you his name. This is Bobby Berg. Bobby Berg, welcome to 50 Conversations with 50 Strangers. How are you today? Doing very well. Doing very... It's a nice... Cloudy day outside, the sun's trying to peek through, and it's just, it's the perfect morning. I love that. So tell us where you are, tell us who you are, and tell us what's important to you. So I'm currently up in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I am a musician for the United States Army, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I play clarinet, and I've been playing for with a better part of 20 years at this point, if not a little bit more. Um, and what's important to me is being kind to one another. Um, yeah. As a, as a 
business venture that I've started is I'm a speaker for at-risk youth. So I essentially take students that schools have looked at and deemed to be not helpful or that they can't reach or how to put it, um, uh, a common phrase they use is the uh, school to prison pipeline where that's what the student is designated for. And I just, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that people are destined to just go from what, you know, from a school to a prison that doesn't, there's a lot that happens in the middle there yeah. that in my eyes, I'm going, wait a second. No person in the world wakes up and goes to school. And then the second they graduate, they're like, cool prison. That's, that's not it. how that works. There's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of moments that this student experiences. There's a lot, there's a lot of trauma that this student experiences from point A to point B. Yeah. So my job is to come in and be a mediator for the student and the school's tool district and go, Hey, how can we get this kid to where they need to be? How can we take them from being a problem as you're deeming them to becoming a leader in their community? Because if they become leaders, then they can, their influence can spread. Beautiful. And yeah, that's beautiful. That's work. <laughs> and it's really interesting that you frame it the way you're framing it, because in the conversations that I've had around situations like that, it's often been the not going to school to prison pipeline that people are dropping out. Are you finding that people are graduating and, and still with graduation there, there's the pipeline to prison or is it, they go to school that doesn't quite work out. They get involved in whatever they get involved in. And then the, the destination is prison. Truly it depends on the student and it depends on their level of hope that they have not only in themselves, but in the system itself. Um, mainly the kids that drop out early, Yes, their their chances of you know winding up in prison are significantly higher because there's no structure for them. Yeah. What winds up happening is for with every student that I've worked with, I coach students one on one, especially in these at risk areas. Um, I I do it for free because as much money as I could could make, as successful of a business as I could have, what good is is you know sitting on four hundred thousand dollars a year when there's students that need help that can't get it because they can't afford my services. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense in my head. So the kids that do get help that decide to take that step and go, all right, I don't know this guy, but I guess I'll work with him. I guess. Um, the reason they drop out isn't because they don't like school. It's not because, I mean, all their friends are there. All of their learning opportunities are there. And the teachers that are going to guide them are there too. What they don't like is it's usually that one or two teachers that actively tell them, oh, you're not going to make it. This isn't going to work. You're wasting my time. And just give them that negative behavior that reinforces their negative bias. And all of a sudden, the kid's like, I'm out. I'm done. This isn't worth it. Yeah. And if the kid drops out, it's it's rarely is it because they have a supportive system. It's because they're searching for that. And if they can't find it in the school, they're just going to get it somewhere else. Yeah. There's so much in what you're saying, and and there's a part of me that wants to say, well, how can I help you get grants or found or funding for it? Because clearly, the people you're working with cannot afford the work that you're doing, or to pay you for that time, or to pay you what you're you're worth for that time. Um, and yet, I want to ask you if you feel like you're oversimplifying it. Is it because? It feels like some of these kids just come in with a two, three strikes against them already. Their their families are broken, are broken. Their fathers sometimes are gone. 
if their fathers are there, sometimes they're abusive and, and sometimes the moms are working, have to work really hard. I mean, I'm painting a classic scenario. It's not always that way, I understand. And I don't mean it to be the way I'm saying, but there's so much that, that there's so much that feels almost broken before they even get to school. And school could be the one place for them where they could put the pieces together, but we're so quick to judge people from first impressions. And when someone comes in broken, you can feel the brokenness in them. And unless you, unless you have standout teachers, which most of the teachers don't have time to be, in, in my experience, then you just continue in the model of this is a broken child who is going to nowhere but to prison. And so we can invest a little bit, but why would we invest too much? Why don't we try and find the one or two people in this classroom that's going to make it and give them that. And the whole system, I guess what I'm saying, the whole system seems a little rigged against them. And, and so do you find that working through that system is the best way to do it? Or would it be smart? to try and create another system that would say that would take at-risk kids and not have to have them go through that school system, but create some sort of schooling system where at-risk kids could come together. I think of an image of a mosaic. It's made up of a lot of broken pieces, but the broken pieces come together to create something beautiful. You, you get what I'm saying? So in the, Absolutely. in the school system, they don't, they don't know how to deal with broken pieces that well. But perhaps it's possible through the work you're doing to create something where the broken pieces themselves could just come together and create something beautiful, a mosaic of sorts that would help each other see more than what they are. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And at this point, I don't see why not try it. I mean, we've, we have decades of data on what happens when students are kind of cast aside when they're not really given the help and support that they need, because all it takes is one person. It takes one teacher to go, Hey, is everything okay? Yeah. Like why, why don't you skip your lunch period today and we'll, we'll go grab lunch and we can just talk about this. That's all it takes for one kid to go. Oh my goodness. An adult cares about me. Yeah. Whoa. And it, it, it completely shifts their mentality. But again, it takes one person to do that. But how many people do they pass in their life that don't do that? Sorry. That go, oh, th this investment on this kid's not really worth it. I'm not. I'm not going to see the return on it. Well, why do teachers go into teaching to change lives? But you don't go in it to see the return on investment within, you know, the the twelve years you see you may see a student. It's the ten years. It's the twenty years after where they come back and go, hey, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm writing a manuscript up for my book now and in it, as I was writing, I'm going, wow, I didn't realize how awful I was to my teachers. And I write an apology for every single one of them where mm -hmm. I truly felt like I, I never gave you that apology because all you were doing was pushing me to be the best me that I could be. And I just couldn't see it because I was in fifth grade and didn't care. Yeah. I, I didn't have the, the maturity to look in, to look at you and say, Hey, I really don't like how you're pushing me, but I'm glad that you are taking that interest in me because someone is. Yeah. And with kids, they they if you were to put all these kids in one school, it would be fantastic. It would yeah. be hard yeah. at first, sure, but having that bond of we're all not fitting in the traditional system 
could do such wonders. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny, and this is not the way I normally start these because, but but it's just so interesting and so um, I'm so intrigued by the concept because really, the other part of the the, the short narrative that you gave as to who you are is you said you're with the you play music for the mil, for the army army is that what it is or, or yes. you know, okay and when i think about the military i think they are that system in a lot of ways the military takes takes people especially now with no with their no draft the military takes people that society doesn't have a way to, to know how to to work with i mean not everybody but there's a segment and and in the beautiful system in the most beautiful system of the military sometimes it doesn't work but in the most beautiful system it breaks a pe person down with the thought of rebuilding them back up and it strips away all the all the stuff that they came in and said okay now now that you're empty we can fill you up again and there's a lot of wisdom in that and, and there's a lot of structure in that. And there's a lot of history that what they're doing works. And so it would seem like part of the marriage of, of the two things that you're involved in, the military and, this, and these at-risk kids, could create a really beautiful, almost like prep school for the military, if, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where, where, where they wouldn't wait till you get to the military. They would start building them up and then let them come in and then bring them into the military already built up. It, it seems like a fabulous, anyway, I, I get, I get excited. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, <laughs> ah, tell me what makes you happy. Me happy is watching others succeed at things that they don't think they can. That for me is one of my most selfish joys that I get to witness on a daily basis. And I love every second of it. Um, for example, Mike, I I'm driving around, uh, an old 1997 Subaru legacy and the radiator just cracked. I'm not very mechanically inclined. I know the basics of a vehicle, but taking, taking a large part out of it and replacing it for me is a little over my head. Right. And my cousin, for instance, has been, you know, working with machines and tools and vehicles his whole life. And he's, he's, he'll, I'll call him and go, Dan, I just, man, I don't, I don't get this. Can you talk me through this? Like I thought, I thought I did this all right. I, I followed the YouTube video. I followed the diagram. I, it's not working. And he goes, "Oh, duh. Here, just do this real quick." Has no idea, you know, exactly what's wrong. But he goes, "Oh yeah, here, just just try this." I, I'm I'm like eighty percent sure this will work. And the joy that I felt of succeeding once something got fixed, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I, I love." I used to be a teacher, and that was always my, my favorite part was when a kid didn't, it was for music. So whenever a student wouldn't really understand what they're doing, and I'd be like, here, like for instance, on, on clarinet, it's, it's hard to go from a B flat to a B. And it's for most people that aren't musician or uh, musically inclined, that doesn't mean much, but imagine running your fastest speed that you can run. And then finding out that if you extend your legs about two inches, you extend your gait, you can run faster. That switch is huge. Huge. Once you realize you can do it, yeah. well, it, it could sometimes take students, you know, a month to learn how to do this and to kind of speed up the process, I would take their clarinet, the mouthpiece would be here and I would turn it around. So I would have the, the keyholes and I would say, okay, close your eyes. And I want you to just, just blow. 
I'll don't worry about what I'm going to do. And I'd have the whole class quiet down and say, everyone just watch this. You're going to see something monumental. And I said, every single time you, there's a reason I tell you, I don't, I don't care when you say, Oh, Mr. Berg, I can't do this. I said, you can't, you don't think you can do it. You don't believe you can do it, but I know you can do it because I've seen other people do it. And if someone else can do it, you can learn how it's not going to be easy, but you can do it. Watch this. And everyone would get quiet and the student would start blowing in the instrument and I would play a bunch of notes and it would sound really cool because I can move my fingers about 30 times faster than they can. And all of a sudden I would have them go from that B flat to the B and their eyes would open up and they'd be all excited and I'd take the instrument out and they would just be beaming with joy. And I'd say, see, you didn't think you could do that, but you did. Yeah. It's, it's those moments in people and seeing people's success that truly makes me happy. Yeah, and those moments are in every aspect of life. The book that I wrote here, The Mosaic, is, a, is exactly that. It's, about a, it's a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven. And the people he meets are not the standard uh, bearers of who you would think would bring you to heaven. They're not the rabbis and the priests and the ministers and the swamis and the gurus and the shamans and the, and the medicine men. It's the trash man and the street artist and the blind woman and the homeless guy. And he wonders, why am I meeting these people? And he thinks, okay, I'm here with them though. So why don't I just sit and listen to them tell me their stories? And Bobby, in every single case, when he spends a few minutes and listens to these people tell him who they are, what he realizes is the person he initially saw isn't at all who they are. It's who he thought they were. But when they show him who, he, he, who they are, he sees a totally different reality. And when it happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, he starts to say, I wonder if I see anything in the world the way it is, or if I only see the world the way I am. And at that moment, he looks to the right and he sees a monk unzipping the sky and inviting him through the, the hole in the sky into a parallel reality where he meets the wise one who's the keeper of the mosaic. And, and so everything about what you're doing is similar to what the mosaic is talking to me about, which is the heaven that he found was the perceptual shift of no longer seeing what we see, but seeing what actually is. No longer thinking you can't do it, but knowing that you can do it. And those shifts happen every single place in our life and how beautiful it is that kids would have somebody like you to look up to, to, show, to share those shifts with them. Thank you again for the work you're doing. It's beautiful. Um, let's go to a lightning round if I can. I don't know if I can Please. hear you. Okay, there, I hear you. Good. Okay, yep. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Just quick questions you can answer. You don't, don't feel, you don't have to answer them fast. If you answer them fast, great. If you want, if we, I jump in and out of it sometimes to see what's going on. First Perfect. couple are going to be pretty easy. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Both. Both, okay, cool. Coffee or tea? It depends on the day. If I have to get something done that I really need to focus on, coffee, because it, helps my ADHD settle down and I can focus. If not, absolutely T. Fabulous. Would you, do you think you're somebody that is in the box or out of the box? 
In the box. Wow. In the box. I just poke my head out every once in a while just to see what the view looks like. I love that because I don't meet too many people that answer that in the box. So I, I, I'm going to want to ask you about that. And maybe yeah. we'll just jump out and ask you about it. How, yeah. how does it feel to be a person that lives within the box and pokes your, his head out some, every once in a while to see what's going on? Tell me about that person. It's it's very, very routine. Um, I, I'm in the box because... I understand that life works in a very specific way where there's no set stage, there's no set rules, but at the same time, we have a very strict set of rules and I go, okay, cool. So that's, that's the outline of my box. Got it. As long as I like it or as long as it really helps. If it doesn't, we'll just we'll poke my head out a little bit and say, ah, and if somebody yells at me, they yell at me. We'll figure that out later. But We'll try and stay as within the box as we can to keep everyone kind of on the, you know, even keel. And then every once in a while, if I don't like it or I don't, or it doesn't meet my objective mainly, then we'll just, eh, we'll say fine. Um, because if you look at, Alan Watts has this phenomenal um, segment in one of his lectures where he goes, if you, if you go out in the, into the woods, if you're feeling kind of anxious and you're feeling stuck, go take a walk in the woods and look around at what you see. You're, you're usually walking on this path that's not perfectly straight, but it's kind of, you know where you're going. And then you look up and the trees are wiggly. They go all over the place. They're going left. They're going right. There's no set. There's no straight lines generally. Yet we live in a world where everything is perfectly straight. Every, every computer monitor is a perfect rectangle. Your house, your, your car, everything is designed to be straight, and the world isn't. It's funny because okay. then we look and we go, oh, well, well, everything has to be right. It has to be right in its place, and, and you go into nature and you go, I need it to because that's a way for me to control things. The world, on the other hand, nature doesn't abide by those same bylaws. Yeah. So for me, that's that's a lot of... The box that I live in is, okay, I'll, I'll follow your societal norms. I will stick with what is seen as okay for now. But if I really don't agree with this, then I'm going to poke my head out and say, nah, 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 nah. Let's, let's expand our view because the reason we're in the box we're in is because we haven't looked at what's outside of it. Yeah. And the second you look and you go, oh, wait, 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 oh, I can think about this differently. Cool. Let's do that. Yeah. I love that. Would you, would you say... Again, I'm going to do a preconceived notion that I yeah. hope, you know, I'm just going to share, but then it, we can blow it away, okay? Um, when I think about what you're doing in your life, when I think about that you've been in the military, the military would tend to make me think that part of the way they break people down and build people up is by creating a very sort of safe box, you know, a place where people can can come safely and recreate themselves. And within that box, within those rules, within those regulations, we're very, there's a lot of freedom there. And, and so it would make sense that a military person from my preconceived notions would say, I'm an in the box person, right? And, and then I love that part of you that, that brings up Alan Watts, because my, my preconception of most of the people in the military is they're not big Alan Watts people, but that might be changing, you know, and I, and I love that. But 
but that nature doesn't work within those boxes. I often say to my kids who are on their phones all the time or their computers playing computer games, like, when will you get out of the box? You live in a box, you look at a box, you work through a box, you talk into a box, you drive to school in a box, you go to a school is a box, your classrooms are boxes. Like, when are you going to just get outside and just play? And just be outside. We live close to the ocean. Go to the ocean. That's there's no boxes in the ocean, you know. Like just go and and do it. And and they do. They're to their credit. They do. But we live so boxed. Like when when I was in India, people don't live in boxes there. They do. I mean, some people do, but people live on the street. And you'll see people eating on the street, going to the bathroom on the street making love on the street, sleeping on the street, dying on the street. Um, and it's, but in, in the United States, at least, and, and quote unquote, civilized countries, right? We live behind the box, which makes people don't, not really able to know us that much. What do you have to say about that? I think it's a very fragile attempt at a safety mechanism to live in your box or to live out, you know, behind your box because we get judged a lot on a daily basis. I do, you do, everyone does. And it's not out of anything vicious or malicious, but it just, it happens. We all have our preconceived notions of other people and our preconceived biases and they happen. But what a lot of people don't want to do is face those. What a lot of people are afraid to do is find out more about themselves and why that bias is there. Um, and I think one of the most freeing things you can do is face it and admit to yourself. Yes, I have this bias. It's not good, but I'm aware of it. I know the tendencies that I have and I'm actively working to change it. Um, when I was student teaching, I worked in a rural community where there were two black students in the entire district. I think, and I made three, I wasn't a student, but it was very difficult integrating myself into that community. It was very difficult because of all the preconceived biases that these people had until I started talking and they heard me and they're like, wait a second. I expected this kid to come in with a super thick accent from the inner city and to, you know, sag his pants. And he's coming in in this you know, this wonderful button-up dress shirt with a matching vest and a different colored, uh, uh, what's it called, handkerchief in his pocket and the tie that matches. Wait a second. This is not what I expected at all. Hold on. And I had a, I had a whole conversation with the community about just very similar to this, where I said, let's, let's talk. Because yeah. I don't want to spend, you know, nine months here where everyone's kind of tiptoeing on eggshells because you're afraid to ask a question. I'm not going to get mad. Let's have the con- let's have this conversation. And especially with the students because they were they were the ones that were most open to it. And like uh uh during study hall for instance, they come into the band hall and cuz there's weren't enough, you know, seats in the in the cafeteria and we would just talk. And I'd say, "Yeah, you know, I understand that you think of you think you know me. You don't you don't know anything about me. Yeah. Let's let's break that. I don't Love know it. you. Let's let's really get to connect." Love it. Love it. I love everything about the person that I'm getting to know right now (laughs) Uh, because 
it really like you could be a spokesperson for the mosaic and we don't even we've never had a conversation but those are exactly the types of things that that I do in in whether it's in corporations or in in businesses or whether it's in families we we hide so much behind these boxes of of the pains that we've gone through that really when we meet each other we don't meet each other my wall meets your wall and we think and we wonder why we don't have intimacy right and so i i love the things that you're talking about and the things that you're saying um and, and again i just want to say thank you for doing it what made you go that direction i got you it's coming are you ready to ignite the fire we are speak fire oh and by the way that's fire with a y what's going on everyone internal fire student fire young fire father's fire leadership fire champion fire <laughs> <laughs> unlocking the fire within thank you all for tuning in let's grow speak fire speakfire.com speak fire with a y we have a new episode that comes out every monday at 4 a.m are you going to be up with us deuces